Acts chapter 1, sorry, Acts chapter 24 and verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one to... They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had summoned Tertullus, began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found the... This man, a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been, set, you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defence. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-controlled, And the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had lapsed, 
Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favour, Felix left Paul in prison. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm one of the guys that Tony said to speak to. If you have any questions about Unite, please do. Um, yeah, it's great to have you with us. We're going to continue our series in the book of uh, Acts called Sent. This is our second last one, as Tony uh, said. Um, also, I just want to say a big shout out to the ladies yesterday who let their husbands come along to the men's day. We had a great day, and I know it was a big day from 7.30 to 5.30, or if they sticked around for the footy, which I think they regret today, um, it would have been somewhere to 8 or 8.30, and so thank you for letting them do that. I hope it's a blessing to you and your family. We were really challenged, and it was a great day. Now, why don't I pray for us, and then we'll get into this. Father God, You are sitting on the throne with the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, at your right hand. And we are gathered here this morning as your people. And some maybe who are not your people, but who are looking and interested to see if you are as good as we claim to be. And so would you address us this morning as your people? Yesterday there was a big addressing as the new King of England addressed people. But that's not the case for you. Uh, You don't die, your rule doesn't change, nothing changes with you. And so we pray that you would address us as your people uh, in your ongoing steadfast love and faithfulness. And we pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Now on Thursday, the 8th of September, Queen Elizabeth II passed away, as you probably know, at the age of 96 after 70 years on the throne. That's a long time. And, and there have been tributes everywhere, from everywhere, all across the globe for her, her servant-heartedness, her um, self-sacrifice, and just plainly being a good ruler, I think, for many, many years. Uh, many have also mentioned her faith in Jesus and faithfully living for him right till the end, which is always a great uh, encouragement. Now, I have to confess, as a South African Uh, I don't really know much about the Queen, or I didn't at least. Um, I I knew she existed, of course, but I wasn't particularly interested in her. And maybe it was just because I was quite young when we left South Africa. Uh, But I knew that she existed. And and this radically changed, would you believe it, uh, when I married Beck. And her family's a diehard Englishman and women. Poms, as I might say. Uh, You know, so that's where they're from. They live for England. Uh, Recently, when the rugby was here, I've spoken about that, you know, that was intense. Now, I didn't even know on Christmas Day the Queen gave a speech, Uh, whereas now I know about it, and would you believe it, I get forced to watch it every year. Praise God for our kids. I've found ways to, you know, have to look after them and so on. Um, I find it quite painful. Uh, But anyway, let's move on. One of the differences that that, uh, that Beck and I have about the royal family is that I feel sorry for them, and hear me out, Uh, whereas she thinks it would be great to be a royal. Now, the reason why I feel for them is because it seems that they're always judged very critically. Their whole life is played out in the public eye. Even recently with the Wimbledon Wimbledon finals, with the tennis, they had the camera on this little George. You know, he's this small, he's dressed up. Everyone's just, you know, he needs to sit, he needs to watch the whole game. And I think, oh my goodness, that kid's like seven years old. 
Um, you know, so they're always in the public eye, and it seems that the, the, every move is closely watched and scrutinized. I remember watching a documentary on Diana's life uh, recently, and man, they tore the poor queen to shreds for a speech that she gave after Diana's passing. Uh, you know, what she said and what she didn't say, and um, the timing of the speech, it was too long after her passing, and, you know, there was a supposed lack of affection. And it's just like always, there's tons of people watching, and everyone can't wait to point the finger at them and accuse them of something. And so I feel for the royal family, who, without choosing to be born into that family, have to face that kind of scrutiny their whole life. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you can empathize with the royal family in this regard. Why? Well, uh, the reality is that Christians live a similar life, maybe on a smaller scale, but we do. As As we put our trust in Jesus and we become part of the ultimate royal family with the king of the universe as our father, people are watching us closely. They are waiting for us to fail so that they can accuse us and point the finger and say, guilty. They want to tell us that we are not living up to God's standards. The very standards that we're telling them are so good to live by. You know, we are always being watched and judged. Your your workmates are watching if you're working as if you're working for the Lord. They are watching when your boss treats you unfairly, how you're responding. Uh, Your friends are listening carefully when you talk about your kids uh, and your marriage to hear, is it a chore for you? Or is it shaped by the love of Christ? Or or when you lose a family or a friend, people are watching and listening. Are they grieving with the hope that they profess to have? Or maybe as you're struggling in your later years uh, in in a home and and there's a lot of pain, people are looking. Are you living out the hope that you profess to have of a new life and a new body? Now, from Acts 20, where we were last week, to, uh, to Acts 28, where we'll be next week, the Apostle Paul is in a trial after trial after trial after trial, like in our passage today. Uh, life for the Christian is being on trial before a watching world who is quick to accuse and say, guilty. And so today I want us to see how do we respond in this world when we're on this trial by those around us. But, but today's passage is not just for Christians in this current trial. If Maybe if you're here today and you're not a Christian, it's great to have you with us. This is also for you, because this passage uh, tells us about a coming trial. Did you notice that? Have a look there in verses 15 and 25. This is what Paul says, Having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. You see, once people die... There will be a resurrection, whether they are just or unjust. And then what? Well, look at verse 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. You see, everyone will be raised, and then they will be judged. By who? By Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, we saw this when Paul addressed the Areopagus. Remember this in Acts 17? He said, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, God has set a day when he will judge the world by a man whom he has appointed. 
And we can be sure of this because after this man died, God raised him back to life. And there's only one man that's ever been raised from the dead, and that's Jesus. He is the judge of the coming judgment. So do you see how, for us Christians, there's a current trial, but also there is a coming trial for all people. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, I'm happy to face both of them. Bring it on. Have a look at verse 16. He says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. You see, Paul lived in in light of the coming trial before God, and so his conscience is clear toward God. Or at least he worked very hard to have a clear conscience toward God. But Paul also lived according to what God said about current trial. He submitted to his governing authorities, he, he paid taxes, he honored his rulers, he told people about the coming judgment in Jesus and salvation that can be found in him. And so he also had a clear conscience before people that he's living in light of the current trial and the coming trial. And wouldn't it be great if we could say this with Paul? So let's, let's see the pains that he takes to have a clear conscience before both God and man. And I want to show you three things that Paul did in this current trial, in light of the coming trial, that we can take pains to do them, okay? But before we do that, I want to um, just give you a quick snapshot of where we're at. Um, let me bring you up to speed. So we, we left Acts 20 last week and we're jumping into Acts 24. You know, it took us months to go from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 20 and then it's going to take us two weeks to do the last third of the book. Why is that? Well, let me give you a quick rundown. So Paul heads down to Jerusalem. Remember this map that Paul, um, not Paul, that Tony had up here. Um, so last week we were just there in Miletus as Paul met with the elders of Ephesus. And then he travels down to Jerusalem, and he does this because the Christians in Jerusalem are having it tough. They've got a really difficult time. And so, as you can see, I don't know if you wanted this, but Paul does this thing here where he goes down, and then he goes all the way back. And you think, why does he go back on his tracks? Well, what he does is, as he goes around, he tells all these people, these churches that he's planted, look, the Christians in Jerusalem are doing it tough. And if you, if you can, can you give some finances or any support you can? And I'm going to come back this way and I'm going to gather it all with some people and I'm going to take it down to Jerusalem so we can bless them. You can go and read about it in 2 Corinthians 8 to 9. And when Paul finally gets to Jerusalem, right down the bottom right, he purifies himself and, and then, you know, according to the Jewish law and he went to the temple. And there, a bunch of Jews from Asia, up the middle there, who didn't like what Paul had done before because, you know, every time he came and preached in their synagogues, people believed in Jesus and then they left the synagogue and followed Paul. So they were pretty nasty. And so they they have a go and they grab him, they start beating him up and they want to kill him. And uh, this reaches the, the Roman tribune's ears and he sends some soldiers to rescue Paul, gets him out of there by God's grace. And so Paul then stands trial, there's that word again, before the Roman tribune and this Jewish council. And he is found not guilty of anything worth death or imprisonment. And the Jews didn't like this. (laughs) So about 40 of them come together and they make an oath that they're going to kill Paul. 
They're not going to eat anything. They're not going to drink anything until they kill him. And so they say to their leaders, why don't you tell the Romans that we want to have another trial with Paul, and then when they come down for the trial, we're going to kill him. And, and this, in God's kindness, again, I think, reaches the ears of the Roman uh, tribune. And so he sends Paul off with a huge guard of soldiers down uh, to Caesarea. You see they're just above Jerusalem. He sends him off over there in the middle of the night so people don't know because he knows that his life is at risk and he's a Roman citizen. And so he's off there on the coast. And there is Felix. He's the governor of of Caesarea, and he keeps Paul in prison, in Herod's praetorium. That's where chapter 23 finishes. And so five days after Paul arrives there, uh, as you can see in our passage in verse 1, the Jewish high priest, so they bring him out all the big guns, he arrives, all the elders arrive, and would you believe it, they even bring a lawyer along uh, to this whole thing. You know, So it's not a new thing that people uh, take the church and Christians to court. And so there they are. Then we have this current trial that Tony's read out for us. And what we learn, at its most basic, if you forget everything today, what we learn is that if we live in light of the coming judgment, uh, there is nothing or no one for us to fear in the current judgment. Did you get that? If we live in light of the coming judgment, there is nothing or no one for us to fear in the current judgment. Judgment. Another way you can put it is living for the final trial will make us blameless in the, t- in the temporary trial. So how do we do that? Well, I've got three quick things, okay? First thing, live as people of the light. So Paul defends himself in verses 10 to 21 against these kind of three main accusations that the Jews made against him in verses 2 to 9. I don't know if you picked up on that. And what he does is he simply states the truth about how he's been living. It's so basic. He doesn't even need a lawyer. He doesn't need to twist things or put it in a smart way. He just simply states how he's been living. He's completely transparent. He's got nothing to hide. He's got no information that he needs to keep secret or, you know, to make his case better. Um, he doesn't lie. He doesn't flatter Felix the judge. Did you notice how the, how the kind of Jews do that? And even when Felix keeps inviting him back at the end of our passage in the hope that he would bribe, that Paul would bribe him, Paul doesn't. He doesn't. And so Paul not only lived a life of integrity, but he also shares openly about it because there's nothing to hide. He's a child of the light. We are children of the light where everything is brought to the fore knowing that Jesus has dealt with it. And we don't live by keeping things in the dark. Now compare this, there's a real contrast with Paul's Jewish accusers. They do the opposite. I don't know if you picked up on that. Maybe if you haven't read from chapter 20 to 24, you might not have picked up on this. But they accuse him of stirring up riots among the Jews everywhere. But when Paul was in Jerusalem and he was at the temple, it was the, the Jews from Asia that stirred up everything and you know, caught him and, and started beating him up. Uh, or even think back to when we were looking at um, uh, Acts 17, when Paul was at Thessalonica, uh, and, and again, he was preaching in the synagogue and the Jews started believing in him and f- wanted to follow him and follow Jesus. And so the Jews there in Thessalonica got really angry again. And so they, they stirred up some uh, people from the rabble, I think it says. And, um, and, 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 and Paul ended up having to flee the city. 
And he also goes uh, to the next town, you know, flees to Berea, and the same Jews pursues him there too and causes a riot there. So it's not Paul who's been doing the riots. It's the Jews. They are flat out lying when they say that he's the one that's been stirring up the riots. Do you see the contrast between that and Paul's honesty? They're also flat out lying when they say that Paul is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes there in verse 5. He's not part of some new or illegal worship, you know, that hasn't been approved by the Romans, which is what they want Felix to believe. No, he worshipped the Jewish God. He believes in the Jewish scriptures. He makes that very clear in verses 14 to 15. And that's why Paul's custom was, and we have seen this over and over in the book of Acts, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, that every time Paul went to a new city to reach people, if there was a synagogue, he always went there first. Because he saw himself as a Jew who was listening to the Jewish scriptures and obeying them fully. Uh, Notice also how they lie about Paul profaning the temple there in verse 6. So Paul is at the temple because he's in a time of purification. He's, He's offered sacrifice, not just for him, for a bunch of other people as well. He's doing everything by the book, if you like, according to the Jewish law. You can read about it in Acts 21. And they don't mention, it's interesting, they don't just lie about him being... Uh, unpure, they also don't mention how they try to kill him, (laughs) which would have been a big no-no because Paul's a Roman citizen and they're standing before a Roman judge. But hey, we won't mention that, okay? Um, We just seized him when we saw him in the temple. You know, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's seize this person. In other words, let's kill him. So, friends, we will be accused by those around us. Okay, we are on trial all the time and our accusers, our accusers will go about things deceitfully. They'll twist the, the truth. They'll, they'll pull any levers that they have to um, to make things go their way for you to be declared guilty. And, and, and this will happen in our daily lives, but it could well happen in front of the authorities soon. Some of the legislation that's being considered in WA at the moment uh, have passed in Victoria which will be really difficult for Christians to truthfully uh, state what we believe about sexuality and about marriage, and it might land us in prison. It will maybe put us before the authorities. But we don't fear people. We fear God. And we live in light of the coming trial as we face the current trials. And so we remain honest. We remain truthful. We remain transparent, even if it means we lose our job even if it means we we become unpopular, even if it means we lose some of our rights as citizens, it'll be costly living as followers of Jesus, but we do it for his sake. We want to uphold the good news of Jesus um, and not bring the gospel into disrepute as we go through these different trials. You, You see, if we If we were to kind of start living contrary to what Jesus said, when life gets difficult and it suits us, then people are going to think, well, I don't know if that's worth living for. If this guy doesn't want to hold on to the convictions that he he proclaims to others when it gets difficult, well, then those convictions are not worth holding on to. And so it makes Jesus look bad. We want to live in such a way, as Paul says in Titus 2.10, that in everything we adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Now, last night, we, we had the TV kind of going. Um, yeah, kind of, we stopped the footy and Beck had the, the kind of new Kings announcement on, right? Because, you know, 
uh, parents are English and so on. And uh, so I watched a bit of it. And um, that's not been the only big change in the monarchy. There's also been uh, the fact that they've got a new prime minister. Why? Well, you know the story. Old Boris had parties during COVID uh, in a big mansion when he told everyone to stay home, guys. It's safe for you. Uh, don't go out. Social distance. And so, during this difficult time, he didn't stick to his own standards and it made others look suspiciously upon those standards. Hey, if he really thinks we should all stay home because it's good for us, why does he not do it? Uh, and so, it looked negatively, they looked negatively upon the standards and upon him. And that's what happens if we don't live as people of the light when it gets tough. If we move away from God's kingdom standards to make life easy in the current trial, it'll make Jesus look bad. So we don't want to live like Boris in the current trial. We want to live like people of the light. And just a little disclaimer as well. As we speak the truth, as we submit to our governing authorities, and as we don't speak deceitfully, don't necessarily expect that kind of attitude back at you. Okay, don't, it doesn't mean that things will go well for us necessarily. We might not get treated fairly, just like Paul is not being treated fairly. You know what? In this section of, of chapter 20 to 28, three times Paul is uh, kind of pronounced not guilty. He's innocent by those in power, but they don't do anything about it. They're just playing the politics. They're using this whole thing to serve their own agendas and advance themselves. And so... Don't expect that we will be getting the same treatment. It's the same for us. But as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.17, he says it's better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for, for doing evil. So even if we suffer for doing good, we do it as people of the light. So that's the first thing that's going to help us in this current trial. The second thing is we confess our worship of Jesus as the way. That's what Paul does there in verses 14 to 15. Did you see it? He shares what's behind his truthful and transparent life. He he wants people to know what's behind his good life. What's driving me is what he wants to share with them. He's not somehow a good person that loves putting everything out on the table and loves truth and and doesn't want to hide anything. He's not somehow like that, unlike everyone else. No, he is the way he is because he worships Jesus. And the people that accuse us are confused about our Christian faith. What what they believe Christianity is is shaped by what they see on TV or what some random person told them one time about Christianity, or sometimes they just make stuff up in their own minds. And so we need to correct them by confessing what worship of Jesus truly is like. And that is what Paul does. And notice, it's not simply stating some beliefs or truths. It's a confession. I love how that song we sang said, I confess. And I loved singing that. Look there at verse 14, how Paul does this as well. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. You see, a confession is about beliefs or you know, a set of truths, but it's more than that. When you make a confession, you say, this is what I live by. 
This shapes me. A confession of faith is about beliefs that we hold to, that shapes how we live, and that ultimately leads to us having a clear conscience. And so what I want us to have a look at is some of these confessions that Paul makes that I think we should confess too. So the first one there is that we want to confess that Jesus is the way to worship the God that's been revealed to us in the Bible. You see, as we stand on trial, we should be bold in saying that we believe that Jesus is the only way to worship God. We could say that we we believe this because Jesus was God's one and only Son that he sent so that we might, who believe in Jesus, uh, might believe in him and not perish but have eternal life, as we see in John 3.16. Or we could say we believe this because uh, Jesus is the only way, because he's the only person who has ever seen God and he has come from heaven down to earth and tell us about God. No other religious leader can say they've seen God. Jesus can. We could also say that we confidently believe this because Jesus is the only person who claimed to have died in the place of sinners, a sinful world, and and then he has risen from death to confirm that. And we would confess this even if people disagree with us or if it makes us unpopular. We We would share Jesus with people not because we don't love them or, you know, we're trying to exercise hate speech. No, that's, that's what our accusers will say. That's the lies that they will share. Uh, that's those who live in the darkness. They will point the finger at us and say, that's what you're doing. No, we would share the life-giving message of Jesus with people precisely because we love them. Because we love them, even if it costs us. Because we believe that the cost compared to what the people that we're sharing the message with and what they will be rewarded with, is by far worth it. So that's the first confession. Second one is we want to confess that death is not the end. I mean, that is, will be a radical thing in our society. Death is not the end. I picked up a guy the other day uh, after our growth group, just at night time he was coming back from the pub, and he believes that death is the end. Death is not the end. No, there will be a resurrection for all. And we want to share Jesus with people because we believe that they will stand before Jesus one day after they have been risen. There is a coming trial and they will either stand before him guilty or guiltless. And we want them to stand guiltless before Jesus, don't we? As we share the gospel with them, we want them to trust in Jesus' kind of guilt-bearing sacrifice in their place and be guiltless before him one day, like we will be. And so if our confession is that there will be a resurrection of the just and just, well, we will also be a people who, who don't take revenge. You know, in these unfair trials or in, in, in anything that's unfair in, in our lives, we won't take revenge even when we're badly hurt or trampled by the very people that should love us, we don't take revenge. We don't take matters into our own hands. Everyone's going to rise one day and they'll stand before Jesus. He'll deal with it. The third confession and how it should shape us is because of our hope in a future world after resurrection, uh, we should live very simple lives, I think, here and now. And we should invest big time into the heavenly kingdom of God. You see, if you, if you confess that this world one day 
will be um, consumed, if you like, will go through fire where everything will be burnt up before God comes back and makes a new heaven and an earth and live with us in a new heaven and earth with these people, well, you must be happy to be less comfortable now as you invest in that new heaven and earth. Would you really want to have investment properties when you know they're just going to burn to the ground? Wouldn't you just want to spend that money in something that's going to benefit you and others in the coming kingdom? I think that's the change that should happen. That, that is if we, if we confess that there is a resurrection and there's a world afterwards. You must be driven to invest in the coming world and helping others to get there. Our confession of the resurrection of all will drive us to do what Jesus said, where he said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven and not on earth. So if you're big, actually, on storing up treasures on earth, if you're just pursuing comfort in all things, if you're living luxuriously all the time, well, maybe the resurrection is only an idea for you. This is not something you actually confess that's changing your life and that's giving you a clear conscience. So those are some, some things that we need to confess as part of our worship of Jesus as the way as we face this current trial, okay? And then the third one, and this one's very short, is we want to help people respond with faith in Jesus. I've already kind of started showing this, how our confessions will help us do that, but maybe if you, think, if you were thinking to yourself, man, I don't know where he's getting that from. I don't really see it in the text that he keeps quoting. Have a look there at verse 24 to 25. So after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. What Paul said in his trial must have had a huge impact on Felix to the point where he now goes and gets his Jewish wife and thinks, I think you need to hear about this. This is, this is key maybe to your life and your salvation. And they get Paul out of prison to come and address them, just the two of them. And you know what? Paul doesn't hold back. He doesn't say, oh man, like the food you guys serve in prison is rubbish. Like, you know, and Oh, life's been so difficult and it was unfair then. He goes on about that. No, no, he doesn't talk about that. He's preaching. Um, he's preach- he, he kind of he starts preaching to them about faith in Jesus, as it says there so clearly. And, and he, he, he doesn't... We've been saying for a while that thing's going to give in. It just did. So Paul is in front of um, Felix and then his wife. And he doesn't go on about the kind of small things of life, how difficult it's been. And he doesn't shrink back on his faith before these royals. You can imagine him doing that, can't you? No, he starts helping Felix and and Drusilla see what having faith in Jesus might look like for them. He's encouraging them in that direction, and he actually does it again before King Agrippa. It's interesting, Paul goes from this tribune, then he goes to a governor, and then he ends up before a king as well, and ultimately he'll, he'll go before Caesar. But have a look, when he talks to uh, King Agrippa, it says this in Acts 26, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, as you're addressing me, Paul, would you persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> it's just like every opportunity that he gets, he's trying to persuade people, you need to be a Christian. 
He's not just defending himself, talking about the willy-nilly things of life. And I love this about Paul. And I've been praying this for myself, the same boldness, and for us. He's preaching about righteousness to a man who's hoping to get a bribe from him. He's preaching to him about the coming judgment before Jesus to a man who's the judge of his nation. He's preaching to him about Christianity being the only way in a culture where there's lots of ways. He's preaching to him about um, faith in Jesus alone as the way to give Felix the righteousness he needs to stand before Jesus one day. You see, Paul is trying to drive the truth of the gospel into the hearts of Felix and Drusilla and those that he meets with. And that's, you know, and, and it, makes, it makes him uncomfortable. He's alarmed by this. And I think that's when we know someone's hearing the true gospel. It's when they feel like that. And we should expect that from people as we share it with them. If you share the gospel with people all the time and they're like, ah, that's great, you, no, that's cool, then I don't think you're probably sharing the right gospel. If they're feeling, whoa, that's very intrusive, I don't like that, well, then you're probably preaching the right gospel. Now, you might say, Donnie, 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 look, you know, everything you're suggesting is great, but look how it turns out for Paul. Did you forget to read verse 27, Donnie? You know, this leads to him remaining in prison for two years. Surely that's not very wise. How many people can you reach if you're not in prison? Maybe that's better. But have a look at what Paul says in Philippians 1. So he's in the imperial guard uh, at the end of chapter 23, and that's where he's again at the end of chapter 24. And maybe this is the one he's talking about in Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, friends, even through our unfair trials and imprisonments, the gospel continues to spread. And people continue to be saved through fearless proclamation. That's the constant refrain through the book of Acts, isn't it? And it's the same today. The truth is, Jesus faced unfair trials and he won salvation for the whole world. Paul faced unfair trials and he took that message of salvation far and wide, wherever he went, even in prison. And you and I will face unfair trials. The question is, are you, un- are you willing to face those unfair trials for the progress of the gospel in light of the coming trial? Are you willing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for shedding light uh, for us on this world and also on the coming world, the coming judgment a truth that we don't just want to believe in, but we want to confess it and we want to live by it and be changed by it and be bold in speaking it to others. Would you please, Lord, take some of these truths that we looked at this morning and especially those that we want to confess and um, imprint them upon our hearts that we can't see ourselves believing, loving and living anything but these things. Help us at times when we feel a sense of unbelief and anxiousness that you would give us boldness and courage uh, to speak and to live out these things that um, probably very soon we could end up in trouble for. Please help us, Lord. We have seen you face great trials. 
uh, in light of the coming trial, and you have done so wonderfully, and you've won salvation for us. We've seen the same with Paul, and we want to do the same, Lord. We would hate to shrink back in living for you and loving you because of some peer pressure, or pressure from this world, this world that's going to end one day. May we live for the coming world that will last forever. Would you help us in this, we pray, that we might be bold and reach a loving a world that's just hurting and broken and darkness around us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.